Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. Six years ago, almost to the day, I'll never forget this moment when at the end of a long day, in the midst of a really difficult season, I was sitting on the edge of the chair, just listening to music, kind of trying to keep things together. It was a difficult, difficult season in the life of our marriage, in the life of our, our, our world, just everything that was happening in and around us. It was a really difficult season. And I sat there on the edge of the chair, and my daughter at the time was 18 months old. She was running all over the place. I mean, she was super mobile, just absolutely hog wild crazy, going everywhere and getting into anything. And in this moment that I sat on the edge of the chair, she stopped. She just quit. And she soaked in the moment of what was taking place, of what was happening. And she walked slowly up to me. She put her hand on my knee and said, Papa, Jesus loves you. Immediately, I began to weep. I, I was floored by the moment, but more so than the moment itself, I was floored that she took that moment to, to intersect something that I needed to hear at that place, in that space, and at that time. You see, when, when, when it all happened, and at, at the, in the midst of it, and as I began to reflect more and more and more upon that moment, I, I couldn't remember the last time that someone had ever said that to me. I can't remember the last moment that someone looked me tenderly in the eyes and with a gentle touch and just said, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It was transformative for me in that moment because in the midst of it, all of these emotions and all of this pain and difficulty and, and just trying season that we were in evaporated. It kind of flooded away, and I was met in this space of recognition that in the midst of it all, Jesus was there, that Jesus was present, and that he had never left, that he had never abandoned me, but in the midst of it all, I had forgotten it. I could no longer see what was in front of me. I had forgotten this very simple truth. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard for us to forget, or really easy for us to forget that simple phrase. I think it's really easy for that to be something that just flitters away and out of our minds. It's something that is really simple to just 
And I think it's because we are surrounded by so many narratives and experiences that crowd out this very simple truth. We are surrounded in a world and in a place that is full of wars and rumors of wars. Stories of hatred against our fellow man. Stories of hatred against one another here in this place. These, these stories, these experiences, these ideas, they crowd out that very simple truth. That still, small voice. I love you. I love you. We are surrounded by narratives and stories of our families. Family difficulties, family traumas, family experiences that continue to press in and down and around us. Hurts of things that they have said, of, of ideas that they have expressed and shared with us about who we are that have cut to the quick that have cut deep within our hearts, that have cut deep within our minds. And in the midst of it, we miss the still, small voice. I love you. There are fires raging throughout Australia and the callousness of our response to the planet, which is crying out for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, who will step out and fight to make a difference. There's chaos that we experience at work. Chaos of, of just dealing with a boss that just sucks. That's not listening well. That's continuing to press down. Or you just feel they aren't knowledgeable enough to lead in any way, shape, or form. And you just want to yell and scream. All of the chaos that surrounds us in our day-to-day -day lives, of the ups and downs of the deadlines that we continue to find ourselves slaves to, of the moments of trying to help other people in the professions that we have chosen, and we're lost. We lose that still, small voice that continues to cry out and call to us, I love you. We live in a time of uncontrolled chaos. We live in a time where everything is dividing amongst the lowest common denominator. And we're finding separations and splits within our world happening more and more easily, more and more frequently. We're finding that it's really easy to just despise one another, to hate one another, to push other people away. We have found it more and more easy as hatred not only festers, but it explodes above the surface. It makes its presence known in the world all around us. And it's not just political division. It's not just the politics of hate and the politics of division that are continuing to manifest itself in our world. But it's the way in which other people look. It's the way in which they live. It's over and over and over finding something to hate another person for. Last year, the Seattle Times talked about this division and this hatred when they exposed a recent report that came out and said that hate crimes in Seattle are up over 400%. 
between the years of 2012 and 2018, hate crimes in our city are up over 400%. I, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but in this space, in this building that we meet in, there's a Jewish community that also meets here as well. It's, the, the community is called Kavanaugh, and they meet here for their Shabbat services. And it's beautiful. This community gathers together here in this space. And yet over and over and over, they find themselves in fear of what may happen to them. They find themselves in fear of what will happen as anti-Semitic attacks raise more and more and more within the city. As swastikas are painted on the Queen Anne Food Bank within the past month. As they gather here, I've talked with Rabbi Rachel a few times. We get together on a pretty regular basis just to talk and converse and have conversation about what state of fear they are in to a large extent. They have guards that they hire to be here, present for their own Shabbat services because of the rise of hatred, not just in our city, but in our neighborhood, in the Queen Anne neighborhood. It's easier to hate than it is to love, it seems. I've been enamored with this statement by Einstein, who said this back during World War II. He said, it's very depressing to live in a time where it's easier to break an atom than a prejudice. It's easier to create a nuclear bomb that will destroy entire cities than it is to break a prejudice. Miroslav Volf said, it's easy to explain why we tend to hate those who hate us. But how did we come to feel justified in our hatred rather than ashamed of it? How did we come to feel justified in our hatred rather than ashamed of it? What I love about this statement, what I love about this idea and what wraps in it is that it shows us that we have assumed that hate is our natural state of being. That we are no longer ashamed to express hate as a people. We're no longer ashamed to hate our neighbor because their music is too loud. We're no longer ashamed to hate the people that cut us off in traffic. That hate is now all these really small sorts of things, and it's okay to not just be angry, but to take it a step further and hate people and to no longer be ashamed of it because we have now come under the auspice, now we have come up under the idea and the belief that hate is our natural state of being. But we have, as a people, continued to lie to ourselves over and over and over and over that this is okay. We have lied to ourselves enough to believe that this is nothing to be ashamed of. But here's the thing. We as a people and we as a church have been called to be different. 
We as a people, we as a church have been called to live and be different. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. A peculiar people. That you should bring forth the praises of he who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a peculiar people. We should look strange to the world around us because we do not believe that hate is the natural state of being. We should look different for the ways in which we love other people, for the ways in which we care and continue to extend an arm and a hand of love to our neighbors. We are called to be a peculiar people. In fact, this is a foundational argument. This is a foundational principle of the entire church, that we are to be a people that love, that reveal the light in the darkness. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, this was the formation of the church as all of the people were gathered together. All of the people were gathered together and they spoke different tongues, different languages. They spoke differently. It was people that had gathered together from all walks of life. They're present in that space as the Holy Spirit descended upon them. It was in Acts chapter 2 at this moment that every tribe, every tongue, every nation had gathered together in that space. That every person, every single human being was welcome in that place and in that space. All the people were welcomed. But it didn't quite work out that way. Even after Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 4, and 5, and 6, and 7, and 8, and 9, and 10, there was still division that ran rampant through the church. There was a division of people by class. There was a division of race. There was a division of ethnicity as people continued to push and separate themselves and segregate themselves. It was in Acts chapter 10 where Peter had this amazing vision from God that that's not the way that things are supposed to be. That things were actually supposed to come together. That things were supposed to be united, not divided. The people were supposed to come together in unity and in love, and that in doing so, the kingdom of God would be made present. And not only would the kingdom of God be made present, but the kingdom of God would be made known to the world around us. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, this is how Peter started a message to the masses. He said, it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. If the church is not this, then what are we? If the church is not this, And what are we? Revelation imagines a church filled with ragamuffins. 
a, a church filled with the imperfect people of God gathering together who are striving to be more Christ-like, who are striving to be more and more like Jesus. Revelation imagines a church where all of the tribes and all of the tongues and all of the nations are present together worshiping God, where there is no division, there is nothing that cuts one another off from another person, but together we are found in that place and in that space and in that time of people who are pursuing Jesus in every single way. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm not a perfect person. Just want to put that out there. I'm not perfect. I've never lived a perfect life. I've tried, and I've put on airs, and I've put on faces, and auspices. I, I've, I've presented auspices to other people, like, oh, yeah, I'm perfect. I got it all together. But I want you to know that I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And in the midst of this, I want you to know that in the midst of all of this, that we are not perfect people here in this place. That there is nothing about us that is perfect. That we are flawed individuals. That we have our own shames. That we have our own challenges, our own struggles, our own frustrations. And those are not things to hide. Those are not things to tuck away. But those are things to set out before us to say, this is who we are. Let us pursue Jesus together in this space because the door is open. I think the reason why oftentimes we hate and we find it easy to hate other people and the reason why it's so, so simple for us to push other people through judgment away from our sphere is because we don't have a full grasp or a full understanding of just how much we are loved by God. We have a difficult time accepting that reality because we believe that we're supposed to be these perfect people. We believe that we're supposed to have it all together because these are the narratives and the stories that the church over generations and generations and generations has piled upon our shoulders that we carry with us this weight of needing to be perfect. This weight of needing to have it all together and as a result, we put on these masks. We pile upon our shoulders this air and this auspice of perfection. And in doing so, we push other people away because it reminds us just how much we aren't perfect. It reminds us just how much we have left to go. And so we find ourselves with other people that are trying to be perfect that are trying to put auspices of perfection over their face, masks and ideas and clothing of, of goodness and of rightness and of perfection. We gather ourselves around them so that we can feel comfortable in our own failures instead of, instead of being comfortable that we don't have it all together, that we're not perfect. The church is to look different. The church is to be a different people, a people full of broken, vulnerable individuals that say, I don't have it all together, but I'm still pursuing Jesus. I'm still walking hard after him. 
This whole concept, this whole idea, this whole principle of the foundation of the church is centered around this idea that Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you. Brennan Manning said it this way. He said, the love of Christ embraces all without exception. Jesus Christ is crazy about you. He loves you just as you are, not as you should be. This is grace. Jesus Christ loves you just as you are, not as you should be. He continues on later. He says this, For his love is never, never, never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration or change. It is reliable and always tender. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And until we can truly, fully embrace that and understand that, until we can fully live into that reality, will never be the church that God has called us to be. We will never be the peculiar people that Jesus has called us to live into. The ways of Jesus that continue to reach out a hand to every single person, no matter who they are and where they are from. We will never be able to live into that well until we embrace that foundational idea that foundational belief, that foundational understanding, that foundational experience. Jesus loves you. Kurt Vonnegut has written some really strange things, but this one was beautiful. He said, a purpose of human life, no matter who is controlling it, is to love whoever is around to be loved. Vonnegut was an atheist, someone that just did not believe in God whatsoever. And you can kind of see that in the, the, the phrase in there, no matter who is controlling it. That for Vonnegut, it was a purpose of human life, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you believe, the purpose of foundational understanding and purpose and belief as a human being is to love whoever is around to be loved. To love every single person. And the only way that this is possible, the only way that this can happen, is if we believe first, if we experience first the love of Jesus in our lives. That that is central to who we are. And then through that and from that, it explodes out into the world around us. I, I love some of the old cartoons that... <laughs> the, the way in which love is expressed, when, when someone is, is, is head over heels in love with another person, when, when in the cartoon someone is head over heels and showing love to someone around them, it's nothing but an explosion of flowers. Do you know what I'm talking about? You remember these cartoons? Like, I grew up on the Looney Tunes, so you know, like, that's where a lot of it happened was the Looney Tunes. 
it was an explosion of flowers, and I just kind of have this image and this, this, this idea and this understanding that when we have allowed the love of Jesus to so penetrate our hearts and our lives that we can do nothing but explode with that love and flowers all over the world, all over the people that are around us, right? Because like, like what's kind of funny and fascinating about this is this is kind of like the flower power movement in the 70s, right? Flower children, that they were exploding with love, and not just that, but there's these beautiful images of, of, of soldiers with their guns pointed at protesters, and, and one person just puts a carnation in the barrel of the gun. Flower power. It's this idea of love expressing and exploding into the world around us. See, I think that what we are called to do, what we are called to be as a people, is not just having this, like, recognizing and understanding this love of Jesus deep within our heart, but the, the outcome of this, the overflow of this, is that we will love harder and more often than everyone you know. And if we do this, if we love harder and more often than everyone else we know, we will find life. Not just because we are discovering life in front of us, but because it is being created. As no longer are we people that are slaves to the natural state of being of hatred that we believe that it is. It's no longer understanding or recognizing that as the way in which the world is supposed to be and the way in which the world works. But rather, it is us finding life and creating life around us. Love harder and more often than everyone you know. And you will find life. You will find life. This is what it means to never walk alone. It is that we will express that love to people around us. Whoever is around us in the words of Vonnegut. Whoever is there to be loved, that we would love harder and more often than anyone that we know. That we would express that beautifully and wonderfully. 2020 for us as a church, for us as a community, is the year of community. It's an opportunity for us as we move throughout the course of the year to build a better and stronger community of who we are. We're what, 19, 20 months old as a church? 20 months old as a church. We're not very old. Last year we spent time, it was the year of loving God, which is why we experimented on so many different spiritual practices, why we contributed to these spaces of prayer, these spaces of exploration of Scripture. Everything that we did last year was to help us love God better, to deepen and further our relationship with Him. And man, oh man, have there not been some beautiful stories of transformation and of conversation that have taken place in our community over the past year? This year, however, is the year of community. And here's the idea that community is not for you. Community is not for you. It's not for me. It's not something that I get to have. It's not something that I get to possess. Because that is not community. If it becomes all about me or all for me, that is never how community works. Community will actually fall apart because it then is centered around you and your experience and your experience alone. It falls apart 
Community does not work that way. It becomes insular and, and tight in, and you just continue to shrink and shrink and shrink. It's a beautiful image of that that takes place in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, that the more inward we look, the smaller we become until we cease to exist. This is what happens if a community is just for you, if a community is just for me, that we look inward and inward and inward. We become more and more insular. We set up more and more boundaries around who we are that we do not truly and fully love. And in that instance, poof, it implodes and it ceases to exist. Community is for others. The only way that community works, the only way that community happens is if we begin to extend our arms in, in reaching out to others around us. Community is not for us. Community is for other people. It is the full expression of our love outward. And in the loving outward of who we are, of expressing that love of Jesus that is within, other people give it back. And it's this beautiful cycle of love, of self-giving and self-sacrificing love over and over and over again. And in that moment, when that kind of community begins to emerge, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Community is about self-sacrifice, of giving of yourself over and over and over again and allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable enough to receive it as well. I want to close with this last quote from Terrence Malick, who continues to blow my mind, and Tracy makes fun of me for loving him so much. But in his movie, Night of Cups, there's this one line where Christian Bale is the, the main character in this movie, and he just says, there is so much love inside us that never gets out. There is so much love inside of us that the more and more we recognize who this Jesus is, the more and more we come to grips and come to terms with the love that Jesus has for us, the more and more and more we swell with love that the only thing we can do is express it. And no matter how much love we give, no matter how much love we share, it will never empty out. There is so much love inside of us that never gets out. So when I say love harder, and love more than everyone you know, Know that there is still a reservoir of love living deep within you that is just dying to get out. There is never enough love to share. Or there, there is always more love to share. And there is, never in, there is never not enough spaces for us to do it in. That we can be a people that continue to express the love of Jesus around us, no matter who we are, and no matter what we have experienced. That day that Elliot came up to me and placed her hand on my knee, 
and said, Papa, Jesus loves you. It was transformative for me because it helped me to experience the depth of love that Jesus has for me in that place, in the now. It helped me to recognize it. And if someone has not said that to you recently, don't let this message be the last time that you have heard someone say that to you. Be a person that looks to those around us here within this community, here within our neighborhoods, and just say, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.